I'm Pastor Dan Grissom, and uh, I want to welcome you to worship this morning as we begin a new series. We're looking towards Easter. We're preparing our hearts and minds for the celebration of Easter. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be in this series called Before Calvary. Now, I'm going to make a statement and, and see if you agree with this statement. I believe that Easter is the most important event in all of humankind in history. For every human being on this planet, there is no more important day than Easter. Anybody agree with that statement? You see, how could we say that? That seems like a bold and audacious claim, doesn't it? That we would say that Easter is more important than anything else. And so what we want to do for the next three weeks, we want to look at like, well, where does that power, where does that come from in the celebration of Easter? And we're going to do that because we're going to look at a word, we're going to look at something that happens in the Old Testament many different ways, different times, and that's called sacrifice. You know the idea that someone or something has to die that we might live? And if you've ever read the Old Testament, right, you know it's, it can be bloody. I mean, you know, people are dying or animals are dying and, and uh, you know, there's a sacrifice going on. You think... That's just really messy. It's almost, it's almost repulsive from our sensibilities today that, that there would have to be shedding of blood for us. And yet, all through the Old Testament, that's exactly what we see. And so for the next three weeks, what we want to do is we want to look at some of those stories, some of those images, some of those pictures that point us towards Easter. And we, want to, we want to look at God's character because we can see it if we study these stories, look at for his purposes, we can understand those and what they mean for us today and his plan. And as we do that, as we, as we prepare our hearts and minds for Easter, we'll, we'll come to understand just how powerful Easter is for each one of us. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for a chance to study your word today. And we pray that as we do, you would open our hearts and minds to the truth, the reality of what you've done through your son, Jesus. Lord, we hear the message all the time, but we don't always let it penetrate. We don't always let it get into our hearts where it begins to do the work, the powerful work that only the cross can do. And we pray today that we would know Christ and him crucified, that that would be what we long for. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, I grew up in a church that loved to sing hymns. Anybody grow up in a church like that? A few of you? Okay, so uh, I want to I share with you a few of the hymns that we sang regularly at the church that I attended as a kid. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna, you're going to hear the music for the first line. I want you guys to sing the second line because I think... Many of you will know these, so let's see how you do. Perfect. All right, so, so you begin to get the idea right there. What, what, what does Jesus' blood do? It washes away sin. Here's another one. Let's see how we do. My hope is built on nothing less. 
That was a, that, uh, some of you knew that. That was great, though, right? It's Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's our hope. You know, as, as a kid, I would listen to these. I would go to church, and I would, I would these, there'd be these hymns. And in the beginning, I was not at all interested in these hymns. In fact, the only thing I really wanted to hear from the choir director is, we're, today we're going to sing verses 1 and 4 only. <laughs> I didn't want to do like all six, right? But then I started actually listening to the words. And as I got older and understood a little bit more, this was one of my favorite, favorite hymns. You'll see why. Sing along with it. bit of a rocker, don't you think? I mean, that got at least my interest. I was starting to play musical instruments, rock and roll, and, and I said, wow, you know, we could actually rock in church. Imagine that. <laughs> it's possible we could play that kind of music. And that was the beginning. You know, we had a Sunday school teacher, Mr. Clarkson, and, and uh, I remember having a discussion with him. God rest his soul. I'm sure he's got a mansion in heaven for putting up with Dan Grissom in eighth grade. <laughs> Now, I remember him talking to us about the blood of Christ. Do you know that, that today there are denominations that are writing the word blood out of their hymns? Why is that? Because it doesn't fit our sensibility today, does it? It's a little bit repulsive to think that, that someone would have to die that we would live. It's, it's so... It's so um, exclusionary that Jesus would have to die, that no one else could do that work. And, and many of our songs, they, they just fail to get to this idea of blood. It's like we want to clean it up. We want to remove that offense of a death for our lives. Mr. Clarkson, he, he was so good because he's not only patient with rebellious uh, middle schoolers, but he took us to this verse from Hebrews. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You realize that? Now, think about that for a minute, because I know we all forgive, and we don't demand shedding of blood, right? We, we kind of tend to look the other way. And, and, and we can do that. Why? Because we have been forgiven. We, we pray that. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because we are forgiven, we can extend that forgiveness. But God, you know what? He cannot just forgive a sin. It's not his nature. It's not his character. You see, he requires a payment. He is a just God. He is perfectly just. That means every time we step outside of his moral boundaries, his, his law, we break it, we're guilty. We're sinners, and we deserve punishment, and he demands punishment. He demands payment for sin. Now, as you've seen, the, I mean, you've seen it in our world. I mean, you've seen it this week. I mean, the justice system isn't always just in our world, is it? Right? But with God, not only is he perfectly just, meaning he will punish all sin, but he loves us perfectly. 
And because he loves us perfectly. You see, that perfect love, that perfect love, in that he provides a substitute for us. He provides someone who dies for us in our place. A perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could take away our punishment. It has to be perfect. So God is perfectly just and he loves us perfectly, but perfect love doesn't make us pay. God provided a substitute. And that's why Easter has such great, incredible, life-changing power. And you know, through all of the Old Testament, we see pictures and types and shadows of this sacrificial act of the cross. And today we want to look at a story, but I just want to, I want to take you back to Genesis. Because I want you to see the very first time that blood was shed and why it was shed. You remember the story, of course, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sin. Sin enters into the world. And what's their first reaction? They hide from God and they are ashamed because what? They're naked. Think about that. I'm so glad that Adam and Eve didn't live in Chicago in the wintertime. <laughs> so they sewed some fig leaves or something together to cover up because they were ashamed. They had never known that feeling until sin entered into the world. But God came along. God came along. And what did he do? He made garments for them. But where did he get them? From animals who had to die in order that their sin and shame might be covered. And so all through the Old Testament, we get these, these pictures, these, these images, these types of the sacrifice of Christ, which, of course, had, was, was thousands of years away yet. But God wanted us to know the reality of his perfect love that would be given to us through Christ. Now, just so we understand, and uh, so we understand the old and new covenants, we need to really wrestle with the reality that those sacrifices never, never took away sins. They were only images or shadows or types to lead us to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ who had to be the perfect offering, the sinless offering, one who never stepped outside of the moral boundaries. So today we want to we look at a story also from Genesis, and what we want to see is a picture, another image that leads us to the cross. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. You probably know it. Just to set it up, Abraham is... Uh, is 75 years old, and God comes to him and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You know, and, and he says, yeah, right, we don't have any kids, God. What are you talking about? And he says, he says that's okay, I'm going to make that happen. And, you know, it gave me some solace to know that God can use even old people, right? Like retired people. Oh, but by the way, we're not announcing that we're pregnant, okay? <laughs> right, Susan? Right, not happening. Right, Lord? <laughs> Please? But he does have a son, but it's 25 years later he has this son. 
He'd waited for it. And here's the thing. God called Abraham and he said, look, you're going to be special people. My special people. I'm going to take you to a special place. And I'm going to give you a special purpose. Now, Abraham didn't understand exactly what that meant. But he knew he was going to be used by God. And he was on a journey to be obedient. And then this story happens. And you see, as I read it to you, you see, could you be obedient in this moment? I'll read this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they'd reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. And he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand. And he took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And we read that story today, and we think, God, how could you? How could you even put that story in the Bible? You know, the God who said that we should not murder. The God who said who said, I hate what the nations around Israel would do with child sacrifice. The question that, that I would ask if I was Abraham was simply that. I would say, God, how could you even think and conceive of this story? Maybe you've had a conversation like that with God. God, how could you? We know the character of God. If we can trust the character of God, we know 
that there's, God is at work, that he's, he's doing something in our world, in our lives. If we follow him, if we love him, that he works things together for good. But this story, honestly, I can't even imagine where Abraham's mind and heart and emotions would have been at that moment when he was asked to take his only son that he waited all that time for, the son of the promise through which he would become a great nation and sacrifice him? See, the the question, the real question that, that Abraham wants to get to after you get past that initial, initial emotional charge of that act, the question that Abraham really wants answered is, God, why would you? What is your purpose in this? What good could come out of this act? And so, take a look. Because at the end of the story, we see it. We begin to understand it, that God had a purpose in revealing in this moment a sacrifice of an only son that leads us, leads us to Jesus himself. If you look at the uh, end, we know that of this verse, we know that Jesus, or that uh, Abraham passed the test. He passed it. He says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know that you fear God. You know that Proverbs says, Proverbs 9 says that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And so Abraham, obviously, he feared God. He said, I, I know I don't understand why. I, don't, I, I have a hard time thinking why, but I fear God. I want to be obedient to him. And, and, then, and then he says, he says, you have not withheld me from me, your son, your only son. Who is speaking here? It was the angel's voice from heaven, but he says, you don't fear God because you have not withheld from me. As we learned during our Advent series, this is, this is an appearance of Jesus. This is his voice. The, the one who would be sacrificed is, is speaking now to Abraham. And he says, I know, I know that you fear God. And now I want you to know, I want you to know what this is all about. I want you to see what this is all about. And, and you can see that Abraham began to, he began to get a glimpse of the purpose, the why behind this story. You see it in this next verse. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, Moses wrote this, and it says, it will be provided. But what is it? What is going to be provided? What is Abraham celebrating here? You know, this story is so interesting because many scholars believe the mountain that they were on, Mount Moriah, is Golgotha. Calvary's Hill, where Jesus would be sacrificed before Jerusalem was even built. Remember that there was three-day walk. Sound familiar? And Isaac carried wood on his back. Sound familiar? 
And, and, and now we see Abraham, he's saying, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What is the it? It's the substitute. It's the sacrificial substitute. God will provide it. And Abraham now knows it. He now has knowledge. He can see down through time. He can understand that someday on this very mountain, Jesus will die for all sin. And proclaim it is finished. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go to the New Testament, this changed Abraham significantly. If you go to the New Testament, you see Jesus talking about Abraham. Look what he says in John 8, 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. See, that's what happens when we can, we can see that not, it, 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 it's not going to be provided. That's in the past tense for us now. It has been provided. The substitute, the perfect substitute for us has been provided. And it brought great joy to Abraham, and it brings great joy to us today. If we can just, just get our minds around the fact that sin has to be punished, if we understood the magnitude of the problem of sin, we would, we would celebrate the magnificence of what Jesus did for us. That's what this next three weeks is about, that we would focus on the reality of the why this happened. We would see how God reveals it in the Old Testament that we become more and more real to us each week. You know, we, uh, we use this verse so often. You've heard it many times. For God so loved the world that he gave, nice word, right? That he sentenced his son to death so that we might live. His only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to be the judge. He didn't do that. He sent him in to be the substitute so that we would not be judged for our sin. Now, I know, uh, you know, everybody's busy. Everybody's got a lot going on in life, right? And your mind is filled with things all the time. But for this next week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think about this question. God, why would you? You've already heard that we have to have a perfect substitute, but I want you to personalize this. I want you to know it's for you. And so this week, as you keep this question at the forefront of your mind, I want you, every time you pass a mirror, to look, stop, look. So the answer is, why would God, God, why would you do this? Why, why would you? The answer is right in front of you. He did it because of you, because of me, because of his great love. So as we continue our journey to Easter, our, our preparation, as we go through these weeks, begin to live in the reality that there's been a substitute who shed his blood, that you might live. And, and, and look at that, and like Abraham, have joy. Rejoice and celebrate the incredible gift of forgiveness of sins. Because there's great power. There's power in the blood 
of the Lamb. Let's pray.